What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This episode is brought to you by 78 Sports. If you're a baseball coach and you're not familiar with 78 Sports, then you need to be. 78 Sports is a full design, supply, and installation team that does it all for baseball coaches and facilities. Whether you're looking to get new hitting mats, replace ML screens, or put up a new batting cage, or even design a brand new indoor facility, the 78 Sports team has you covered for it all. As an exclusive offer for our podcast listeners, 78 Sports is offering special pricing on your order when you mention Ahead of the Curve. Give them a call today at 844-478-TURF to get your order started. You can also check them out on their website at www.78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, the number 8sports.com. On today's show, we have on Brenton Del Chiaro. Delhi is in his sixth season with the Brewers and his first in his current role as hitting coordinator after spending the previous two seasons as the assistant hitting coordinator. He joined the organization in 2016 as a hitting coach with the Arizona Brewers, a role he continued through the 2021 season in addition to his duties as the assistant hitting coordinator. Prior to joining the organization, Del Chiaro spent nine seasons with the Los Angeles Angels organization. He also spent time with the major league team as the bullpen catcher in 2007 after retiring following a seven-year playing career in the Angels organization. So on the show, we discuss his role as hitting coordinator, we discuss how to set up an optimal hitting environment, and he gives us some insight on how he goes about having conversations when making swing changes. This episode is so good with Brenton Del Chiaro. Brenton, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Excited of to be course, here. of course, of course, of course. So I was actually reading an athletic article the other day, and without knowing that you were going to be in it, it was awesome to see you. So I'm, I'm reading this article about Mike Trout and it just happened that we had set a date and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm about to record with this guy. And I had no idea that he got to coach Mike Trout. So we could probably talk at a, an entire show just about Mike, but I would, <laughs> I would love to know like what, what's your, what are, what is your best Mike Trout story? Or if that's too limiting, what are a couple and, and what was that experience like? Um, it, it was enlightening because it, it was a talent that I had never seen before and, and never coached before. And I was still very young into my coaching career. And in walks this 18, 19 year old, just athletic stud um, who just made everything look easy. And, um, he, you know, the, the thing that um, resonates the most with me is that he hasn't changed. You know, he's obviously married and he's a father now, uh, but like, he just has never changed. And, and talking with him throughout the years, um, he has remained the same jovial person, the same positive person, the, the, the same competitive person. And, and uh, it, it's really cool to see the success that he has had. Um, and, and like the article stated, like he, he just did something that was above and beyond uh, for my son. And, 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 uh, it's, I showed my son the article and then my son looked at me and he's like, well, what bat are you talking about? And so I finally, <laughs> oh, awesome. I finally showed my son the bat, um, who just turned seven on Monday and, uh, he, he was just beyond thrilled and he's like, can we put it up? I said, no, we're, we're just not there yet, bud. And so <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, it, it's going to be in a case eventually up in his room. No doubt. Is there anything? Okay. So what was the moment? that you were like, okay, this guy is going to be an absolute superstar. Was there a moment in a game that you were like, oh my gosh, like this is something that I'm sure it was multiple times that it, he did things that no human should possibly be able to do. <laughs> but what was like the first one that you were like, oh my God, this kid is for real. Well, you know, it's it, from my personal experience, it, it was the, the, the incident that I described in, in the athletic article where uh, the first month of the season, he had 13 infield hits. Um, and, and mind you, like th this conversation Unreal. started because he left spring training having hit six home runs in spring training. And for people that know, like you go to you go to Arizona or you go to Florida, like those spring training fields are enormous. And he he looked like a man among boys during that spring training. So, you know, the expectations coming out of spring training, what is he's going to do all this damage? And he had 13 infield hits the first month of the season, mind you. The weather plays a factor. It's so cold in the Midwest mm. to start the season. Right. But um, 
so I, I sat him down one day and I was like, dude, hey, how you doing? And he's like, Deli, I'm not seeing the ball well right now, but I will. And, and he said it in a way that it wasn't like egotistical. It was just pure confidence in his ability, knowing that I'll get there. And, mm-hmm. But this is coming from a 19-year-old player. And that was the most mm-hmm. astonishing thing. Um, described in the article, um, our the manager at the time was Bill Mosiello, who is an mm-hmm. exceptional baseball coach, baseball sure. person, baseball mind. Um he, he just got the the Ohio State job. Did you see that? Yes, I, I That's did. That's awesome. Congrats to that. him. Yeah, no doubt. Um, he described it like it, in Cedar Rapids, it's like 270 down the left field line. The, uh, the this, this this patio that sits above the left field wall with a spa jetted out a little bit. So he hit a hard hit ground ball past the third baseman, a diving third baseman for a triple down the left field line that's only like 270 and, and mm-hmm. I like I'm not exa- I may be off it might be 275 but it's not 300 mm-hmm. and for a triple a legit triple that like was fielded cleanly clean throw into third and he did that and it was mm-hmm. like from a speed perspective it was like holy cow um 13 infield hits the, m- the first month of the season from a speed perspective it's like routine ground balls to the shortstop and so like if you go back and you look at like replay the futures game from that year his first at bat it's like a two hopper to the shortstop and when we were watching it in the clubhouse in cedar rapids we're like this is safe and he was he was safe and like it, that to me was the moment that he introduced himself to the baseball world mm-hmm. um, it's like whoa um and, and then like you know like the, the power came a little bit later but he was a high schooler growing into his body, figuring out the swing and how to move. But mm-hmm. those were the two stories that like really from a, a baseball standpoint. And then like in the clubhouse, he was just a tremendous, tremendous clubhouse a teammate um, mm-hmm. was just always joking with people doing practical jokes, but like also like asking people to hang out and go out like, you know, to dinner and just a incredible, incredible personality, incredible person to be around. No, I love that. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll link the the article down below so that, so they can you know listen to to what you're talking about. And I think one of my favorites, and it may not <laughs> it may not be a great example for for the kids that are listening, but uh, they were asking him like, so he gets drafted, and they heard that he was a speed guy, and then he shows up, and he's just this massive NFL safety looking guy. Mm-hmm. And one of the players asked him, he said, hey, "Mike, what did you do all off season?" And he said, "Oh, I just crushed Pepsi and steak." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god." He walked that in must the be door. Nice. He walked in the door and, and like he looked like he had shaved his head, like or, or, or cut it really short. He looked like Brian Urlacher. Like he looked like a linebacker. Um, and it was like, oh my goodness. And, and like he he put on the mass, he put on the muscle. And, and like, of course, everybody at the time um, was like, what's this going to do to his speed? And it, it did nothing. You know, he, he didn't lose a step. So it, yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, to have that, that young metabolism, you know, back in the day. Right. No doubt. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit, you know, about your day today. So you are the hitting coordinator with the, uh, Milwaukee Brewers, but by the way, so funny story, my, so my dad played for the Seattle pilots, which was a one-year team and they moved to Milwaukee. There were, he was on the first Brewers team and he absolutely loved uh, Milwaukee. He said, so I, I guess they almost had like spring training. It's like the middle of spring training. And then they decided to move to Milwaukee like right afterwards. Some, some weird deal. One of, you know, baseball in the 60s thing. Mm-hmm. Or I guess this would be uh, 1970. But he said when they showed up to town, it was like they had won the Super Bowl. And they had just started there. So Milwaukee, just amazing baseball city, which is a really cool organization. But, I, but long story short, I want to know about you know, what your job looks like on a day-to-day basis being, you know, a a coordinator and how do you impact players in your job on a daily basis with where you're at? Yeah, it's, it's two scenarios. It's, it's when I'm at home versus when I'm on the road, um, traveling to our affiliates. Um, it's, it's a very busy day. It's a day that, um, the way I describe it is I'm on call pretty much from 7 a.m. when I wake up in the morning, which is uh, 11 a.m. in the Dominican for a DSL team um, to basically 9, 10 p.m. at night um, when our Arizona team is, is finishing up their, their games and our affiliates have concluded their games. Um, 
you know, starting the morning and the day, depending on what day it is, I will have a, a certain um, catch up or a, a touch a touch point with our staff. I, I do most of my staff calls on Mondays because that's the, the universal off day for minor league baseball for our full season teams. So um, I'll just do a weekly touch base with our coaches on Mondays um, when I'm at home. Tuesdays typically um, involve um, several Zoom meetings with um, front office personnel, um, just kind of updating them on where we're at as a department um, or some, you know, um, initiatives that we that we have that we want to explore some ideas um you know so like that's pretty much my morning as teams get to like the ballpark in different time zones I'll, I'll take care of that um one of the things i like to do like after lunch um is reach out to players who had a a really good game or a really rough game and let okay. them know that um you know hey awesome job last night one to let them know that like we're watching them and we're supporting them too to like really praise their success. And then if a guy had a really rough night, I want to reach out to them and let them know that like we're here to support you. You know, hey man, tough game last night. Go get them tonight. Bounce back. Something like that, and, and just more of a positive tone. Um, so I'll you know, depending on the night and the night we had as an organization, I'll send out five to six text messages to individual players. Um, and by then, most teams are either at the at the ballpark partaking in, you know, batting practice, early work. So my day is like freed up a little bit for me to like hop on um, the computer and do more of the computer work that I need to get done. Um, and, and from a, you know, I guess a statistical uh, metric standpoint. Mm -hmm. sure. um, and, and then my kids come home, you know, and, and I'm a dad for a couple hours. And then once I get them um, fed, bathed and to bed, um, I've got three monitors in my office that I will turn our minor league affiliates on um, and watch their games uh, via the MILB app and kind of, you know, track it from there. And then sure. once, uh, once Arizona's finished, like I kind of, I kind of check out and, mm -hmm. um, you know, go from there. That, that That's a typical day when I'm not traveling. Um, when I am with the affiliate, obviously um, having constant conversation with the coaches on a daily basis and from practice design uh, just to watching how, how they, they navigate their day. Um, that that's something that um, I enjoy doing is, is observing how they, you know, they relate to players, how they impact mm -hmm. players, how they, how they design a practice session for the day um, and how creative they can be with it. So, um, and then, you know, sit in the dugout and communicate with players, find out what their approaches are, what they're thinking, um, how they're going to attack hitters or the, the pitcher, the opposing pitcher for that night. Um, and, you know, just having conversations with guys, baseball conversations, you know, being in the dugout that, that happen on a, a nightly basis. No, really good. And I, I love, you know, the insight that you mentioned. And I, I really love that you reach out to guys that had good games, but also guys that had bad games and, I, I can just imagine, you know, being a player in the world of professional baseball and you have an 0 for 4 and you're you're probably wondering, you know, am I going to, you know, what's going to happen, right? And by you reaching out and saying, hey, like, we got your back, like, you know, how can we help, things like that, I think that, that it, it it lets them feel like I'm just imagining this, letting them feel more comfortable, at least within that, so they can not press so much. Is Is that kind of the reasoning behind it? It's exactly the reasoning, you know, it's like, I love hey, that. man, like we're, you know, we're watching, but like, we know that this is not going to be, you know, always sunshine and rainbows, you know, there are going to be some downs, but just understand that we're still with you in the downs, you know, as we are with you in the ups. And so, um, you know, offering that support and letting them know that like, we're there for them and it's okay. It's okay to, to have a, a bad stretch. Um, you know, hopefully that eases the burden, eases the pressure and, and allows them to, you know, compete, um, freely with, without, you know, obviously, because this is obviously a game of failure, mm -hmm. um, you know, put that aside and know that, you know what, Hey, my, my people, our people have my back. And, and so that that's, you know, a big part of it. I love that. Well, you mentioned, you know, the, the training environment that coaches set up every day and there will be pro ball coaches listening to this, but I would say a majority of our listeners are high school age or high school coaches, coaches, coaching ages, you know, 14 to 18. Mm -hmm. I would love to know, you know, what's your best advice on how we can set up a hit, a good hitting environment. Like if, if let, let's say that, that you decided, Hey, I want to get into to high school baseball. I want to be, you know, a head coach or a hitting coach. And I want to make sure that the environment is, 
is conducive to growth and to challenge and to all of these things. What advice would you, or I, you know, if, if you're in that situation, what would you do? How would you set it up? Just, or just, you know, any advice that you have for us in regards to you're working with some of the best players in the game with, with a lot of resources. How do we do similar things uh, with teenagers with, with less resources? Like what does that environment look like? Um, it's, it's a really good question. You know, obviously we, we have more resources uh, than, than some sure. of the programs and, and some of the high school, you know, programs in the country. We understand that is, the biggest thing is that we we embrace failure and we learn from failure in a challenging practice environment. Um, doesn't mean that like the the pitching machine needs to be at a ten all the way up, sure. you know, throwing okay. hundred miles an hour. Um, you know, you, you want to train on the edge of difficult but not impossible. Um, you, you get to the point of training at with you know at impossibility you're just going to defeat the player. They're not going to learn from that. It's like, you just want to find that sweet spot and, and thread that needle, which, which is a challenge. It just depends on the skill set of your group. Um, but the, the biggest thing that, that our staff preaches is that, um, you know, we're going to develop your hitting ability through challenging you in practice. And we're going to learn from that failure in practice. But in doing that, we're like redefining what success is in practice, you know, and, and there's been, Many articles and people have come out and, and done podcasts like your show and other shows saying like, you know, we need to fail, you know, 80% of the time. Like you you decide as the coach or, or the coordinator what you want that to look like. It's just getting the players to buy into what success is in practice. Um, I tell hitters all the time, like barreling a ball up off of a machine with high velocity is nearly impossible like to do on a consistent basis. Um, if you're doing that on a consistent basis, the machine is not challenging you enough. You know, you think, you think about the, the variance that's in it, where the, the machine is not throwing it in the exact spot. One wheel spinning faster than the other, the balls are scuffed up, you know, um, the visibility, like the batter's eye, the backdrop is not great. It's, you know, so we were to find success as like, were you swinging at a pitch in the zone that you look to attack? Um, did you get the pitch? Were you ready to do damage on that pitch? Mm-hmm. And if you answer yes to any of those questions, that was successful. We do not in practice. Sure. We do not care about like the batted ball result. You know, if, if you hit 15 grounders at, at a tough pitching angle or a, a challenging velocity and you swing at every pitch that was in the zone you were looking to swing at, that is a hugely successful day. So we, we redefine what success is. Um, we get them to understand that we're going to randomize practice. We're going to give them different scenarios. Um, and we're going to give them unexpected challenges. Like, because what happens is, is that they kind of know what's going to happen. You know, they, they know it's like, it's like a regular batting practice. I know a fastball is coming at 55 miles an hour. It's not going to challenge them. There's not going to be much adaptability. Um, you know, there's not going to be much problem solving. So it's like, we're going to challenge you. And sometimes we're not going to tell you what we're going to do just to give you that, um, unexpected surprise. So, um, you know, if you can create an, an environment that, that is, you know, uses variability variance, you know, with different angles, different feeds, different bat height or weights and lengths, um, you're, you're setting yourself up for success. Just let them know right there with, with having those environments. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, that's, that's really good. And you know, it's, it sounds a lot like you are, And well, I think one of the more common things that we're starting to see now is we shift to where we feel like, and we being the hitting society, uh, we feel like where, uh, where we can, where we can align our strengths with a a pitcher's weakness and that swing decisions. And you hear swing decisions come up a lot. Uh, what are, what are some practical ways that you feel like we, we can do that in a training mode? Is that just like, you know, random batting practice or setting a machine to throw balls as well? And and trying to give them instant feedback with that. And then even like breaking down in at bat after, after they got out, you know, did you swing at the best pitch that you got in that bat and were you on time? Uh, just any, any nuggets that like that, that we can steal from you. Yeah. From, from a training perspective, um, you know, one thing that we, we did this year is that, uh, we did, um, we had, we had hitters stand in during bullpens and, um, swing a, a bat on a pitch in the zone. And we actually used TrackMan to track it. 
And, you know, we, we created leaderboards. Um, that, that's something that I was really excited about for our program um, that, that we did is that um, we held them accountable by using trackmen or b1 units to track their their swing decisions and then we posted it um in the clubhouse for the whole the whole complex to see right so now we're putting it on blast where you know your your teammates are seeing whether or not you're making good swing decisions so mm-hmm. now sure. the accountability comes on it's like whoa you know i just can't sleepwalk and, and mindlessly work my way through this this uh, exercise um we utilize hit tracks you know um we don't have you know it at every, we have it at every affiliate, but we don't use it at every affiliate just because of some of the constraints we have with our our, our batting cages. But for the most part, we know we, we use the, the strike zone on hit trucks. We use a nine pocket net um, and and um, identify specific zones we want the ball. You know, we want you know the hitters to attack. I like that. Um, from from a swing decision standpoint, um, it could be as basic as you know, yes, yes, like shouting yes during batting practice when you, when you make contact with the ball. Um, so that way you're, you're recognizing that it's a strike and, and you're setting yourself up for that aggressive um, mm-hmm. approach when, when you hit. Uh, th- those are some of the things that we do from, from a swing decision process. But um, I think it's just a continuous conversation with players. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you hear Juan Soto talk a lot about it, especially lately. Um, you know, he, he was ready to accept it. He was ready to work towards it at, at a young age. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's really up to the hitter as, as much as we want them to pick it up right away. It's really up to the hitter. And when they're ready to accept it, to practice mm-hmm. it, to be aware of it, you know, um, sure. Now I want to say like 90, 90, 95% of our day. And this is just hitting in general. Like the day is spent on hitting the baseball and not much is spent on the actual taking the baseball, taking mm-hmm. pitches. So like, we are oriented for making contact and swinging aggressively in like all these situations where we just swing, but we don't practice our takes. And so sure. like, you know, Juan Soto has, has, you know, been vocal about it lately where, you know, I started working on my takes and I started working on, you know, being aware of the strike zone and where I wanted to pitch in the strike zone. And obviously he's the best one and, and he started at a young age, but we as, as coaches, we're constantly preaching it. I know here mm-hmm. at the Brewers, we're constantly preaching it. It's just sometimes the player like develops on their own and they develop at different times and they have mm-hmm. to be ready to accept it. And when they are, you, you see them become, you know, very disciplined and aware of the strike zone. And that's typically when you, when you start seeing the improvement. I love that. So, you know, back to a, a similar question with, with high school coaches, Let's say that, you know, we, you gave us the opportunity to send you some video or to talk with, with some of our players about what they need to work on. You know, what does that questioning look like? Or if we sent you video, what are some of the things that you would do just when trying to evaluate hitters that you don't usually have eyes, eyes on? And I know with, with, with your coordinator role, you, you probably don't want to give us away all your secrets of (laughs) data and scouting and all of those things. But, you know, let's say for just from an amateur perspective, if you had you know, if I sent you a, a player's video and I said, Hey, what do you have on this? You know, what are the first things that you would want to know? And what are some of the first things that you would look for? Um, you know, the first things I would want to know, you know, to gain some context on the, on the hitter himself or herself is like, are they swinging at strikes? You know, um, that, that is priority. Number one, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's been the objective since day one, that baseball start is like, you know, you're only as good as the pitches you swing at. And so, mm-hmm. Are you swinging at strikes? Um, and, and so, like, if I can have that information, um, like, you know, the conversation may start and stop right there. Like, I can't evaluate the hitter if he continues to swing at breaking balls in the dirt or fastballs up and out of the zone. Um, so, like, you know, like for the general, like, let's say they, they, they the, the hitter is swinging at strikes. Um, when I'm looking at video, I'll, I'll start with the center field camera, and okay. I'll look at their, I'll look at their timing. Um, okay. And, and this is something that I have been. Um, when, when I talk hitting, you know, I, I will go to first is that when is the hitter starting his first move, their, their load, the, the, the first move to get to launch, when are they starting that in relationship to the pitcher's windup or delivery? Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of times, um, because we are visual athletes, you see a lot of times where, uh, where hitters will wait to see the ball pitched before they get to launch. 
But when mm-hmm. you like put it side by side with a big leaguer, right? And I like to do this all the time with our young hitters is like put them next to Christian Yelich. When Christian wants to get into his leg lift, uh, his hand load, um, he typically starts that very early in, in the mm-hmm. pitcher's delivery. And um, you look at our young players, especially at like the complex level or whether it be low A or high A, um, when do they start? And, and it seems to be when the ball is either close to being released or out of the hand is when they start. And uh, you hear a lot like, well, the ball just feels like it's getting on me. Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with timing. So um, sure. mm-hmm. educating them about like when to start. And there is no universal time to start. I would just sit there and say general rule of thumb would be like when the pitcher hand hand break you know, breaks his hands. Mm-hmm. Where, where, where are they? Where's the hitter at? Is the hitter starting? Is the hitter still stagnant? Is the hitter still in their rhythm? Um, so it's like, you, you like, dude, if you were just to start a little bit earlier, how many things would this just clean up? So mm-hmm. um, from there, I'll, I'll move to the side. You know, if we have a side angle um, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll check head movement and center of mass, you know, like the, their, their pelvic trunk area. And, and if that shifts forward, um, I know that we're getting a little bit more technical, but like when you're watching video, you know, you're looking for those things. And it's like when, sure. when the hitter gets to heel strike, are they continuing to shift forward into the front leg or mm-hmm. do they get to heel strike and start producing more of a rotational move? You know, you're going to go back forward, a little, little bit of a linear move, and then you get to heel strike. You need to initiate rotation. And um, you, you see often with young hitters is that the head or, or the pelvis will shift forward you know, a couple clicks into the video before they get into a rotational move. Um, you know, and, and that, you know, that tends to be a lot of the issues. And so um, when, when, when I look for those two main things and correct those or make those suggestions, that path gets cleaned up, timing gets cleaned up, swing decisions gets cleaned up because they're just in a better position to um, approach a baseball to, no doubt. to make a good swing decision. So those are just a, a few to name. Sure. You know, I, I, I feel like when I was growing up, those were the, the type of conversations. And then we, you know, we went full in on swing mechanics, or at least I did, because that was mm-hmm. probably what I was, was lacking the most, because I felt like I had a decent feel for the game. And now I'm, I'm getting back to those conversations. Like I was, I was talking to a kid last night, and it's like, what am I doing wrong? I was like, well, are you, are you swinging at good pitches? And he was like, no. And I was like, well, let's, let's start there. It's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that, but it's so true. Like, I think, I don't know if it's, if it's generationally, like we all attach ourselves to, you know, different things, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's starting to turn back to that now that this, this age has been just immersed in video and have, they've seen so much. So that's, that's the first thing that they go to is mechanics. And now I, I felt mm-hmm. like five years ago, I would have been more focused on mechanics because, you know, for whatever reason. And now I, I feel myself like these kids have a decent understanding of that, but you know, with approach game planning swinging at strikes it just feels like it's it's funny how some of those things go in cycles yeah it, it really you know it, it really is because it, it's it's the obvious questions that i i think that they're not wanting to answer you know it's it, and it happens all the time you know it happened mm-hmm. with, with sure. me when i was an affiliate coach and, and you know and i hear it all the time as, as a coordinator um you know and, and it's something that that our staff does a really good job of a hitter hitter has a bad result and they come back and, and they'll ask like hey you know What'd you see? And, 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 you know, throughout the organization, the first question is, is, well, did you, did you swing at a good pitch? You know, no, I chased it. Well, then the conversation ends. Well, when you swing at a good pitch, then come ask me. But right until you start swinging at strikes or swinging at, you know, at the lower level, we sit there and say, did you swing at a strike? You know, at the upper levels, did you swing at your strike? You know, and, and if the answer is no, then the conversation stops because it's like, again, you are only as good as the pitches you swing at. And so if the answer is yes, then the second question tends to be, well, were you ready to hit that pitch? Uh, I didn't feel like I was. Conversation's over. So what we start doing in game is that we are nav- navigating the player away from internal thought process to more of an external thought process. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. the person on the mound is throwing an object at, you know, 90 to 100 miles an hour filthy stuff and you're so worried about your internal mechanics that you can't even focus on the objective and that is to hit the baseball that is moving towards you um and 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 it's funny like when when you have those conversations with players and and they look at it from that lens they go holy cow 
And so now, you know, you start preparing the players, you start setting them up for success, where you get them to uh, think more externally versus internally. You know, I think it's human nature to think more internally when something goes wrong. It's like, oh, God, what happened? What did I do wrong? But our coaches do a really good job of asking those questions where it mm-hmm. gets them more centered and focused on what the task at hand is. And the task at hand is, I need to hit this incoming baseball really hard. Ideally, we hit it in the air. How do I do that? And if I'm thinking of like where my hand is or where, where my bat is or my foot is or what my stance is doing, like I have completely distracted myself from the goal. Sure. No, absolutely true. And, you know, I've had that conversation too of in the box where it's hard. We can't think about two things, focus completely on two things at one time. So splitting and dividing our attention is, is a really prevalent thing that, that happens a lot. I think it probably happened to me too. And I just, I, I love hearing that from you. Uh, you know, one of the other things that, that I want to you know talk with you about is when we notice these things and there will be times that, well, you know, you being a coordinator, there, there are times that people confide in you and they're like, Hey, you know, it, it, it may, I, I mean this in the best way possible. It, it means a lot coming from you. So when you say something, guys are probably going to try it, uh, based on your position, but Let's let's say, you know, that you as the coordinator, you don't have a, a great relationship with this player and he doesn't come to you asking, uh, you know, some different things. And you wanted this, you know, you wanted me, let's say it's me and you wanted me to make a certain change. How do you go about that conversation? Because, you know, you are their boss and you are in a very high level position, uh, but you also don't want you want them to own it as well. I'm assuming just based on the conversation that we're having in your personality, you want them to own it so they can mm-hmm. so they can get better at it. And you're, that's coming from a place of love and for them wanting to be the best version of themselves. But give us some tips on how we can start that conversation or just some things that you've learned when having those conversations. Uh, I mean, well, first and foremost, I, I'll, I'll never have that conversation without the affiliate coach there. Um, I will I will try to get the affiliate coach to make it his idea. You know, I, I, I call it. I try to avoid this, but I call it seagull mm-hmm. coordinating where you kind of come in and you, you tear everything up and then you fly away. Right? <laughs> okay. like, I, I, I don't, I want to avoid that. I, I want to be in more of a supportive role for our staff. Um, and so, you know, if, if, the, if the hitting coach, like before I come into town, I will always contact the staff to let them know, Hey, I'm coming into town. Are there any red flags? Um, what can I do to help, you know, that kind of supportive action. And so if a coach says, hey, I'm having problems getting through to Jonathan, it's like, okay, well, what's going on? What have you tried? What have you guys discussed? Um, and so if, if I were in that position, I, w- I would sit down with the player and just have you know, an honest conversation. I, I think the thing that we do well with the Brewers is that we design, um, we foster co-designing environments where the player has a voice in their development. Um, we try to avoid... Um, imposing our will, um, you know, because we are coaches or I am a coordinator, you're going to do as I say. Well, it's like, you know, I tell hitters this all the time, whether I've got a good relationship with them or not. I will never take an at-bat for you. Your hitting coach will never take an at-bat for you. This is your career. Uh, We have suggestions. We have pretty good data to back up those suggestions that Mm -hmm. we think can lead you to having success. But ultimately, what do you want to do? And so like, I'll start there is like, like, what do you think that you want to do? Because I I think a lot of coaches, um, a lot of young coaches, a lot of coaches that might be, you know, stuck in their ways, you know, will try to like, I'm the coach, you're the player, do as I say. Well, you know, I'm never going to play for that kid. Like, I'll never swing for that kid. So why am I telling him what to do? Because I don't really know what he's feeling on the inside. So we'll sit down and like, you know, this is where you're at. This is what we think, you know, you might need to improve on. What do you want to do? And I think when you approach it that way, the player feels a, a sense of ownership. Like, oh my God, yes, the the Brewers or, or this team is, is my, you know, employer, but it's my career. And so when, when you put it in that lens, like, hey man, like, tell me, what, what do you want to do today? How do you want to get better? And you, and you put it in their court, one, you're forcing them to be accountable for their career, for their actions. So if, if you're going to push back on the coach or you're going to push back on me and, and my suggestions, that's fine. Like we want you to challenge us that way, but I expect you to have a solution. 
or I expect you to have a, a proposal. It can't just be, I don't want to do that and not have a why. And so um, I think what happens is, is you find out the players that are really bought into like becoming better and improving will have a reason. Hey, this is what I want to do. Okay. Well, tell me why. I want to do this. I want I want to attack the ball this way. Or I want to put my hands this way because I feel more comfortable this way. Okay, okay. cool. I like that. Yeah, that's that's fine. Like we're co-designing. Like you have a voice in your own development. Okay. Have you ever thought about it this way? And maybe you, like you changed the perspective, but I think the end goal is to get them to make it their idea. Because if, if I if I come to you, Jonathan, and I say, "Hey, you're going to do this." you're probably going to go, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to fully buy in. You're going to push back. You're not going to be committed to it. But if I come to you and say, hey, have you thought about it in this way? Or have you thought about it like this? Would you be willing to try this? This Mm -hmm. is why. Um, You're having an open and honest conversation. Um, Organic ideas get sparked. Um, Now the player's going, whoa, these people are, are invested in me. Um, they do care because they do hear, want to hear what I have to say. And so um, I, I, I think that's the way I would approach it. That's the way I do approach it, especially with players. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I, I welcome that type of personality mm-hmm. versus the, the, the pleaser personality. Sure. Um, absolutely. And, and that that's, you know, unfortunately, that's, you know, where, where kids come from sometimes in the program is like, I'm the coach. You're going to do as I say. So it, it, it's funny to work with those types of players where it's like, Hey, what do you want to do today? And they, sure. they look at us sideways and go, hmm. you're giving me the freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never had this. I don't know what to do. Um, so like there, there's more like reprogramming there versus the player that was willing to ask why, or what's this for or challenging because they're going to be the ones I think where the learning curve is going to be less and they're going to excel. Versus the ones where we have to reprogram and say, yes, coach, whatever you say, coach, I'll do whatever you want, coach. Those are the ones that I think develop slower because they're just so trained to like, whatever you want to do, like there's no thought process into their workday. It's just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Um, The kids that have the ability to ask questions and ask why um, and, and challenge us, you know, forces us to be better coaches, to be better prepared, but also you see this kid. They're probably better problem solvers. And and those are the kids that we, you know, that I enjoy working with. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about the in-season training. So you're, you know, you're right in smack dab middle of the summer. And, you know, your guys, you'll have, you know, you'll have a certain percentage that are absolutely killing it right now, a certain percentage that are doing okay, and a certain percentage that are just you're really struggling. And you know, I, I call that as a hitting coach, the rule of 33%, because that's that's pretty much how we figure it out to be. There's always somebody that's going to be struggling. And, you know, I, I'd like to know, you know, what does what does the environment look like whenever you're preparing every day for pitchers? You know, we, we, we hear a lot about game planning now and practice design and really helping players with that. I would love to hear just some some things that, that you found useful but also some things that amateur coaches who don't have access to the amount of data can help with their players uh, with game planning and approach notes as well. Yeah. I, I mean, um, this is, this is a constant discussion when it comes to game planning and approach, you know, um, the way I look at it is like, like at our lower levels with, with game planning, since we know we, we don't have um, like at a complex level, we, you know, we, we keep it very simple very basic like we want you to tack pitches out over the plate take the easy balls the non-competitive pitches and avoid the edges right so now we're, now we're funneling pitches to the heart of the plate um and obviously as as we progress through the system the game planning is going to get a little bit more individualized with the player um, from a game planning perspective at the upper levels it's like what are your strengths what do you do well um, what are his strengths? Do they match up to your strengths? And do you need to look for a certain like pitch type in a certain area? It's so, like we get a little bit more individualized there. Um, you know, because if if a guy does damage on the inner half and the pitcher is predominantly throwing pitches on the outer half, you know, we may need to be a little bit more patient that night, right? And maybe wait, for, wait out the mistake versus chasing his strengths and going away from ours. 
um, from an approach standpoint, really, it, it you know every player has is going to have their own approach. The biggest thing is we want to make sure that they have an approach, whether it's a good one or a bad one. At least you're committed to something. Um, you know, as as I travel throughout the organization, I'm, I'm constantly asking that question to our players. One to hold them accountable, but two, like I'm just really curious to like what they they perceive and and how they they want to you know attack their day, their performance. And, and some guys are like. I am just trying to hit balls through the center field fence. Cool. I'm trying to hit balls over the batter's eye. Um, I want to stay more gap to gap. That helps me stay centered through the middle of the field. Um, some guys are like, you know what? I am trying to hit this ball off the foul pole, the pole side foul pole, you know? Um, so those are also really individualized conversations that I enjoy having because that's something that we preach on a daily basis is, is we mm-hmm. want you to be you. And sure. so um, if guys ask questions like, hey, what is a, a sound approach? You know, it's hey man, homers over the center field fence, you know, and they're like, well, that's pretty simple. I said, well, yeah, if you're early, you pull the ball correctly. If you're late, you're still behind it and able to drive it. So like it's very basic. Um, you know, you'll hear guys ask, you know, left on left. Hey, what's your approach? Hey, dude, I need you to hit me rockets into the left center field gap. Mm-hmm. Stay on the ball. You know, it helps you stay on the ball, helps you stay through the ball. Again, if you're early. You're doing damage to the pull side. If you're late, you're still behind it. Um, you know, allows you to see the ball better, a little bit longer, make better swing decisions. So, um, from from a, a game planning, from a practice, you know, design perspective, most of our early work is done is oriented towards individual developmental goals, and then the team batting practice session um, is more focused on like the opposing pitcher that night. Um, we obviously will have more information than, than some high school coaches or some college programs. Um, very basic, you know, right-hander moving it to the, the right side of the rubber, left-hander moving it left side of the rubber, you know, tall legs, short legs, depending on release height. Um, sure. If we have a little bit more information on pitch usage, uh, batting practice that day at home may be more oriented towards that, you know, um, tendency to use the breaking ball more versus the fastball. So they might see more breaking ball um, in batting practice. Our, our coaches are really in tune with that and are very attentive to those details. And it's something, again, that I'm, I'm proud of my, our staff for because they're, they're like, what is the pitcher? What is this pitcher profile? Um, and how can we tailor our batting practice to this guy to be able to ready com, you know, compete from pitch one? Um, but, you know, like simple things like moving – um, moving the machine to one side of the rubber and keep it instead of keeping it from dead on. Um, maybe it's more breaking balls that day. You know, if you have less resources, um, one thing that I like to do that I, that I get really excited about is when we do, um, we call it dead arm, which is normal coach BP, but we'll do like dead arm with the slider machine and try to get the pitchers, like the, the BP arm to tunnel the pitches, um, and, and mix it up there. That adds the variance of it. And, and you can get creative with the rounds and, and, and the usage. Um, but but if you have a machine and a coach that throws batting practice, um, that, that's something that I would suggest. I love hearing that. And, and uh, you know, I love uh, you giving us some some practical things, too, as well. That's that's very, uh, very kind of you with. Uh, w- so let, let's go into the dugout. And I, I know that that you're a coordinator now and, and you're in there some and you don't want to step on the affiliate coaches toes. Mm-hmm. But let's let's say you're you know you're in the dugout you're the hitting coach again, and a player comes up to you after the at bat, or maybe after they're struggling for a couple of bats. Let's say they're zero for five, and they say, uh, "Hey B, what do you got?" Or "Hey Deli, what do you got?" You know, like help me out with this. What are some what are some questions that you have prepared for them just to get them to self discover? Uh, you mentioned some of them earlier, like are you swinging at strikes or you feel like you're on yeah. time. Uh, all of that stuff helps. Like, and so if we could reiterate some of that stuff, but what are some, what are the, you know, if you could reiterate some of those that you really like, or if you have some new ones or some different ones that you haven't mentioned so far, I would love to hear that because, you know, a, a lot of us are in summer bowl. And mm-hmm. so we, we don't have a ton of time to coach outside of, of that environment. And so that is our coaching environment and teaching environment. So I would love to hear your thoughts on, on how we can help guys between at bats. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I always keep the mentality when, when I come into town is that I'm there to be a guest and not a pest. So uh, when, you know, if, and when a player oh, comes good. up to me that, that I have a relationship with, right? Like, like the affiliate coach is the boots on the ground. They, they are doing 
the day in and day out stuff of implementing our initiatives and they're there with the player. They have the heartbeat and the pulse of the player and, you know, the, the, the mind, the headspace and the mindset. So like, I, I'm very cognizant about that and like stepping on their toes. And, and so like, if a player were to come up to me that I have a relationship with a really good relationship with, and they were to ask me those things, my first question is, is like, what have you discussed with your hitting coach in the past? Like I, I need some context because I don't, again, I'm there to be a guest and not a pest. Um, I don't want to step, like I want to support the hitting coach. And so, you know, if they are struggling with the messaging, then that is more of an indicator that I need to get with the hitting coach and make sure that they're delivering a clear and concise message to our players, right? Like, Hey, this guy might be struggling with this. Let's just make sure we touch base with him. Um, if, if they're able to like detail what they've discussed and, and, um, and I like, my staff has trusted me and I have a lot of trust in them. You know, we, we, the first question will always be like, dude, are you swinging at strikes? You know, and if they're like, yeah, like I just, I feel like the ball's darting on me. Like I'm not seeing it, you know, like mm-hmm. then we'll, we'll get into timing, you know, and, and, and it's nothing mechanical, but like, you know, when it comes to time, I'm really big on timing in game. Um, I'll ask them and, and I'll sit there and I'll say, Hey, like, let me ask you something. Like if you were trying to catch a bus, would you rather be sitting at the bus stop waiting for the bus or would you rather be late and like running after the bus as it's pulling away from the bus stop? And they're like, well, I, I'm always going to want to be waiting for the bus. I said, well, then you need to think about timing like that. You want to be waiting for the bus to arrive. And they're like, okay. So I said, what does that look like in your stance waiting for the pitch to arrive? And they'll show me like, they'll get into the launch position. And so like, I'll back it up further and I'll say, okay, how do you get there? And they'll, they'll, they'll take me through like their leg lift or their stride or their, their separation. And I said, okay, when do you want to do that? And that's when like you start to see the, the problem solving initiate and, and then and the, they start questioning like, mm-hmm. well, when he releases the ball. So like, I'll go through a thing where I'm like, okay, so if I'm the pitcher and my arms up and I'm releasing the ball and you're waiting to get to that position, are you, are you, how are you seeing the baseball? I'm not, it's a blur. I said, okay, so when do you think we should start so that we're waiting for the bus on handbrake? Sure, man, your idea. Let's try it. You know? And, and so like now, now, now it's become their idea. It, it It's, I just asked a question. So now they're going to further buy into it. Right. And this is just assuming that it is a timing issue. And so I said, okay, so, the last question I will ask them after you know to finish the conversation is like, can I ask you to commit to that? Yeah, I said, okay, so like you're giving me the opportunity, you're giving your hitting coach the opportunity to like hold you accountable. And if you don't do it, like we can question you. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I said, okay, so the game plan is is you're gonna like get loaded on handbrake early and easy, get loaded on handbrake, and then execute your game plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what I'll do is I'll walk to the end of the dugout and I'll loop in the hitting coach. Like, hey, I just had this conversation, you know, with Jonathan. We talked about timing. He's going to get into a better position to hit. So, you know, that that's how I would approach in-game stuff. Like, if they are swinging at strikes and like they're just like not feeling great, that's that's like as basic as you can make it because it's very easy to see. Well, like, hey, you know, see the ball and hit the ball or, or swing at strikes. Like, you want to give them an action plan, but it's something that's not internal this is more external that they can control they can control when they get ready they can control when they start they can't control like where the pitch is going to be um when it's going to be there you know like those are the two problems that we have to solve as hitters is like when is the pitch going to be there and where is it going to be so if those are our two problems and i'm not ready to to hit those you know like solve those problems in a ready position like we've got no shot so how do I get there? I'm going to do it on handbrake. All right, let's see what happens. You know, and, and those are some like the in-game at-bat adjustments that we'll have, discussions we'll have that I would have with the player. Oh, really good. I got one more for you and then then we'll go to the quick hitters. I, I stumble with this one. So I start with, you know, how are you seeing the ball or are you seeing the ball well? Uh, sometimes. And, you know, that mm-hmm. it, it just depends. Usually I lead with what I think their answer will be, you know, hey, do you feel like you're on time? No, okay, because you're literally fouling balls, balls, all balls off of the or the over the oppo dugout. <laughs> but one of them, one of them is, is are you seeing it well? Uh, 
And then the, you, a lot of them don't have a visual strategy on like where to look. But mm-hmm. if we get to like, you know, I, I'm just not seeing it well. Well, why do you think that is? And then you get, I don't know. And I'm like, well, where are you looking? And then they'll tell you the area that they're looking at. And then it's like, I'm still not seeing it well. And I'm like, okay, so maybe that's timing like you were talking about. Yeah. But I, that one has stumped me lately because I'm like, hmm, I wonder, you know, because vision is so, perception is so reality to each person and mine is different. Like I, I have pretty good eyes so I can even see stuff from the, from the dugout. Like we've trained ourselves to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But I've been stumped with that one lately. Do you have any advice for me? I don't. And, 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 and the reason is, is that I have um, lately, especially a lot this year, looked into vision and vision training mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, how we actually track baseballs, how we perceive it. And, and there's so much information out there that it's hard for me to tell an individual, like, this is where you need to look because I really don't know how they properly track a baseball. Um, I would, I would give them distances, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, because we all, okay. we all track things differently. We, we all pick up on, on, you know, so like the point I'm making is that like, does the ball feel like it's darting on you? Does it feel like it's getting on you? Yeah. Okay. Well then perceive, like, I, I want you to like envision a window a little farther out front and don't let the ball get past that window. You know, um, again, it's more external, um, you know, whether it's like a, a 3d hologramic, um, cube or circle or hallway like don't let the ball get past that window and and see where they're at there so like um instead of giving them something specific like stare at the logo and then shift to the left or shift to the right um make sure we're getting into a ready position and then don't let the ball get past that window and and so that's what i've done from a vision standpoint and and i have found some success Uh, lately we've got some really intelligent people that have guided me on that um and it's like now now they're like kind of using that that soft gaze get into that to the harder gaze the 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 focused but you know um i have found especially with with younger hitters is that like when you're like or look at the button on the top Mm -hmm. of the hat and then shift to the release point it it remains a firm hard gaze so now you've got like a lot of tension in in the eye muscles um so like I, i i push the contact, not the contact point, but like the window, the visual window more out front and okay. say, do not let the ball get past this window. And it might be like 16 to 18 inches in front of home plate, right? Like envision a 3D window and the ball, you need to beat the ball to that spot. Okay. And like we, we have generally found that, that, you know, obviously keeps it more external. Um, they see the ball out front a little bit better. Um, they're making contact out front as well. Um, and, and they, they, you know, because I, th- I think young hitters, um, I think hitters in general, when you try to explain that, like they, in their mind perceive that they're going to see like the stitches on the baseball, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to see the spin. Some guys like physically can't do that. And so, um, I know like when I played at house, I was a terrible hitter, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. when I played, I hear guys talk about, like, well, you know, you can see like more baseball than the palm. So, you know, that's going to be a fastball or a changeup, or I can see the, the seams on the ball, or I can see, uh, the, the logo on the bottom, like, I, I just see a spinning baseball, you know? So it's like, you have those conversations and you immediately check out because you're like, I'm, I'm not capable of doing that. So, um, we, we, we present like a little, little window and beat the ball to the window out front and, and see mm-hmm. what that does for you. Yeah. Some of it is, is eye tracking too, like keeping mm-hmm. your eyes in front of the ball or where you think it's going to go rather than yeah. like really, really focusing on the, you know, and I, I think that that's, that's something that I've mentioned. I, I don't know if it's hit home yet with some of these guys. Uh, cause again, it's, it's, I I'm learning about this stuff too. And that's, that was an interesting one of, you know, yeah. the best, uh, keep their eyes in front of the ball, predicting it where it's going rather than right. when they think where they think it is because they're already behind right. uh, to some degree, or they're trying to focus on where it's at and they're already behind. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, and that's, that's something that's like, thing. yeah. And, and, it, and it's, you know, we can give the advice, but like, for them to transfer it like that, that that's trust that's confidence you know they a lot a lot of our hitters are chasing hits they're, they're they're chasing the result and getting them to buy into the process is extremely hard and, and like those are like the processes that like they have to buy into like here's your game plan go execute it versus see ball hit ball right and, and like you know hey when you trust like 
I need you to predict the ball to be a little bit farther out front. You know, if you're getting jammed, like you, you mentioned earlier, you're, you're rifling balls over the opposite field dugout. Like you need to adjust your sights and, and like getting players to transfer that buy in and believe it. Um, it's, it's a hard thing to do because like it's, we can't control it. It's out of our hands. They have to go execute it. And, and that's the, the, the challenging part is like mm-hmm. getting them to actually do it. I love that. Well, I've got a few quick questions, uh, quick hitters before you go. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll let you, let you roll. Uh, the first one is, you know, what is a drill that we can steal from you that your players or hitters love? I'll give you a batting practice session. Love it. Please do. Players. Um, we call this game survivor. It's the survivor BP game. Um, it's a game that is based off of hard hit total bases. So you, you split the guys like if your team is, is kind of needing like a, a boost or an energy um, spike, it's it's a competitive game. We, we break the team up, the, the roster up into two teams. Everybody hits at once. Um, and, and, and like, the, you know, like you treat it like a game. One team, you know, they go back and forth. Not one team hits the whole time. Right. So you, you alternate at bats and they get one pitch or they get one swing. The goal is to hit the ball hard. The goal is to hit the ball in the air. Um, and you normally have a coach standing behind the turtle or the batting cage, um, purely subjective, saying whether or not it was a double, triple homer, right? Total bases, hard hit, it's got to be in the air. We typically either play to 30 or to 50 total bases. And at the halfway point, so you stop at either at 15 or 25, at the halfway point, the trailing team gets to send their worst or their least productive player to the leading team and then takes the leading team's most productive or best player. And then you play to like 30 or 50 loser picks up the baseballs. I love um, it. It's an incredible competitive environment. Like it'll start off slow. You can do it off of like a coach pitch throwing or a machine. Um, and what happens is, is that the closer you get to the halfway mark and, and like the final total, the intent picks up, um, the, 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 the focus, because it is just one swing, picks up. You've got one pitch to do damage on. So you're heightening their awareness for what they can do and pitches they can do damage on. Um, you're promoting a competitive, fun atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a lot of trash talking. Uh, hmm. there, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of noise. So now you're, you're, you're creating a challenging and competitive environment where they have to deal with like crowd noise um, and, and like focusing and like creating clarity as they compete. Um, and then obviously, you know, you're, the end result is like you're doing damage on the baseball. So, um, you know, there, there's no outs. It's the first one to 15 and then you switch, or if you want to keep it the same, cool. And then there's the grand total of like either 30 or 50 total bases. And then what we generally do is the losers got to pick up the baseballs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it breaks up the monotony of, of the, the, the season, um, it's something that the players look forward to. The players really get into, um, you know, you're seeing good swing decisions. You're seeing good bat to ball skills, their, their ability to impact the baseball, um, in a competitive setting. It, it, it's, it's really cool. Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that one from you. Next question is what is the latest thing that you've learned that's helped you be better at your job? Uh, the, the, <laughs> The science of skill acquisition. I know okay. this is, a, is is a big thing right now, but um, I grew up in that that traditional baseball world, and uh, where everything was internalized. And and my exposure, my education to skill acquisition, to external cueing versus internal um, blocked practice versus random practice variability training, um, it, it, it has opened my eyes the past five years that I've that I've you know taken a dive into it um you know to to the point where like i felt like i've I've called former players and apologized for the way i've coached them um is that um because i recognized that i was very internal but i also recognized that's all i knew that's how i was taught um and and how players learn and and how they develop it's just been fascinating to learn about and it's been fascinating to implement into you know my coaching style and, and and our our coaching development 
All right, I love it. Uh, the next one is, what is one thing that you've implemented that's made the biggest impact on your players? Um, this falls under that skill acquisition concept that we were just talking about is, okay. is, code, is co-designing. Um, real, like sitting down with the player and letting them participate in their in their development um, and, and doing it on a daily basis. It's something that our, our coaching staff is phenomenal at is, you know, player steps in, they obviously have the routine, but, you know, we will ask them, you know, what do you want to do today? And, and just to see um, the thought process that goes into it and, and that the, the reasoning why they want to do what they want to do um, has been incredible to see um, and, and watching the buy-in and like, so like now, like I've said many times in this, this process is that they have a voice in their development. And so now they feel empowered and they also feel more willing and, you know, accepting when, when we make a suggestion to, to acknowledge it and, and implement it. Um, but just co-designing, you know, their practice environment ha- has been a really cool thing to see throughout our, our system. I love it. Then last question for you, share with us a failure and how that's propelled you forward. Oh, failure. Um, <laughs> oh man, there, there's been a bunch. I'll tell you that one. I'll tell you that sure. One. Yeah, of course. There's been a, there's been a bunch. Um, you know, generally speaking, it, the, the failure is that like the, the mentality is that like, I'm the coach. Um, I'm the coach. You're the player. You do as I say. And, and, and I, and I recognized that about five or six years into my coaching uh, career as, as a hitting coach and as a manager that I'm like, whoa, th- this is not it. Um, this, this needs to be more about, you know, unconditional love. And, and so um, when, when I was working with the Angels, one of the years I was, I was a manager in Arizona at the complex and I was very, very hard on the players. And um, it just, it was exhausting. It was mentally exhausting. And so when I came over to the Brewers and I, you know, there was three uh, positions available, you know, I was living in Arizona at the time and, and my son was uh, just a, a year old. I had asked to coach in Arizona, you know, one for family reasons to be closer to my family, my wife and, and my son at the time. And this is before our daughter came along, but two, I wanted to go back to that lowest level with a completely different perspective and just coach through unconditional love. And, and, you know, the four years that I did that before I became the assistant hitting coordinator and now the coordinator, it, it was so enjoyable to just laugh with the kids, watch them learn. And instead of being just so strict and rigid and hard on them mm-hmm. um, and just set a fun learning environment, I, w- I was really, really grateful to have that opportunity to like do it over and learn from it. And, and uh, because, you know, it, it is, it's funny baseball. It's, it's, it can be really bad baseball and, but they're all trying and they all need to be coached. And, um, when, when you earn that trust and you earn that love and you take that perspective with it, um, it's really cool to see what you get in return, you know, from a developmental standpoint, but from also a, a relationship building standpoint and the impact mm-hmm. that you can make on players. It's, that would have been probably my, my greatest failure and, and learning moment. And, and, and something that I'm thankful that I, I had a second opportunity to, remedy and, and experience. Oh, thank you for being so open and sharing that with us. That's awesome. Yeah. So Brenton, man, uh, I, man, I, I can't thank you enough for just bringing it today, uh, sharing so much with us and just being so open and honest again with, especially with that last question that, that helps us to connect with you even more. And you can d- definitely tell you have a heart and an impact uh, with the players that you're around every single day. But I did want to give you the opportunity to, you know, speak with us. And is there anything else that is important to you, or that we didn't that we didn't touch on, or just anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? You know, um, yeah, I, I, I too, um, I, I tell this to a, a lot of young coaches um, coming into the industry in professional baseball. But I think this this goes uh, this kind of be applied with all coaching is that. Um, if you have a hidden agenda, the players will see it immediately. They'll see it right through you. When you come to the ballpark looking to make an impact every day, um, it will be so valuable and you will further your career 
we obviously all have goals and there's places that we want to get to. But when you come in to a coaching environment or to a new organization and your first goal, priority, or your motivation is to show everybody what you know, um, it's going to be a bumpy road. It's going to be a bumpy first year. Um, it's going to be a bumpy introduction into your new setting. But when you come looking to learn, um, you come looking to listen, you come looking to make an impact, um, you will receive it back tenfold. And, and um, that's something that, you know, being in the position I am now, I preach to a lot of our, our younger coaches, our fourth coaches, our dev coaches, um, our newer hitting coaches. You know, we, we, we have three, I have three personal coaching pillars. And, and you know, one of them is, do you throw batting practice? But the, 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 the next two are relatability and social agility. How do you relate to your players? You've got 13, 12 to 13 different personalities. Can you socially move around the room and communicate effectively with all 13 different personalities? Um, are you there to make an impact? Are you there to make somebody better? Or are you just looking to like, check a box, build a resume and move on, you know, and when, when you're making an impact on a player, um, it, it is more rewarding than, than you can ever experience in baseball. So that that's my suggestion to young coaches looking to get in the game um, or starting out, uh, make an impact, be impactful, be, you know, don't be transactional, be transformational and uh, you, you will have a lot of success and you will go very far. Thank you so much for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you would do us a huge favor, leave a rating or review wherever you are listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone and tag us on social media. That would help us so much with growing the show and helping others to stay ahead of the curve.